0: This is, as Craig told us earlier, the second sermon in a series that's entitled On the Move. Craig preached last week about God being on the move, and this week we're gonna be considering harvest on the move. And I, I'd just like to take a moment to recap. I don't ex- Um, I don't apologize for doing that because I think it's important. Um, Often we need to hear things said a number of ways, um, repeated, so that they really sink in. And also, I just know that sometimes people are not able to make a Sunday service, so you might have missed out on what Craig was saying last week. Um, And this was his, his proposition, his big idea. Um, Actually, in my own words, I can't remember exactly what you said, but this was it, I'm pretty sure. God is glorious and he's on a mission. When I was a student at university in my final year, I moved from Durban to Peter Maritzburg. People didn't know me. And as, as time went on, um, everybody started calling me Indy as, a, as a, a nickname. It was quite strange. So Christians call me Indy, non-Christians. Um, even the parents of my friends, it was so funny to go and stay with people. And they would say, and uh, Mum, this is Indy. Dad, this is Indy. Um, and it was short for Indiana Jones. <laughs> <laughs> and it was my flatmates. I know some of you might know um, Alistair Banks. I, I know Graham does. Um, he was the one who came up with the with nickname. He just said, Ian, we're going to call you Indiana Jones because you're a man on a mission. And uh, you know Indiana Jones, he's always on a mission. And, and I was quite flattered because the truth is that I was on a mission. Um, just like my father in heaven. And that's what Craig was getting across to us last week. Um, What is the mission that he's on? He's in the process of freeing creation from the tyranny of evil. He's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. I challenge you to go and have a look at Revelations 21 to see what the new heaven and the new earth is going to be like. Because he says there that he's going to wipe away every tear. He's going to banish death and mourning and crying and pain. Um, He's going to replace the old order of things. And then just to sum it all up, at the end it says, Behold, in other words, look, 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 I am making all things, everything new. Isn't that wonderful? God is making everything new. In other words, God is in the business of transformation. He's changing things from the way they are to the way he wants them to be. And that's why we keep saying here at Harvest, and you're going to hear it over and over again, that we must be a transformational church. And since God is transformational, we need to encourage one another with the words that the best is yet to be. The best is yet to be, because God is making all things new. He's in the process of changing everything, and the best is yet to be. And here's a challenge, folks. If we aren't transformational, we need to ask ourselves whether we are truly carrying the likeness of God. Because the DNA of God is that he brings transformation. And if we have been born as sons and daughters of God, we should expect to see ourselves being changed and our, circumstance, uh, our environment around us being changed by us or being changed by God through us. And because the best is yet to be, and this is the part that I love, we have a living hope. This is not a hope that is rusted by uncertainty, but it is preserved forever by the unshakable promises of God. If I hear somebody making a promise to me and I can't depend on that person's character, if they're not a person of their word, if they're not a person of integrity, then I don't have much hope in their promises. But we can put our hope in the promises of God because God is a glorious God. He is entirely dependable. He is entirely wonderful, beautiful, all of those things. And so we have a living hope because our hope is based on the promises of God with the most amazing character. His character is truly glorious. And that's why the big idea that Craig gave us last week, it was wonderful, that God is glorious and he's on a mission and Craig also pointed out that god and his glory are very closely connected and that's why he put them together in the big idea and this connection makes sense why does it make sense well think of it this way if god is glorious when we think of his glory we think of his perfection we think of his justice we think of his beauty if he is glorious in that way and he's created this world in which to live with mankind, then he can't tolerate ingloriousness, inglory in his world. So where he sees tears, where he sees anxiety, where he sees hatred. He can't tolerate those things because he is a glorious God and he doesn't want us to experience those things in the world that we share with him. And so, because he is a God of glory, he starts moving to change everything so that it becomes glorious again. He must move to right the mess of man's rebellion, the, 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 the mess that we've created through our rebellion against God. And so God is on a mission, it's for the sake of his glory, and he will succeed because of his glory. Think of that. He is moving for the sake of his glory because he, he doesn't want us to be in a state of mess. But he will succeed because he has infinite wisdom. He has infinite knowledge. And so he can make perfect plans for his mission. But he also has limitless power and energy and enthusiasm in order to make it possible for his mission to succeed. And so God is on a mission for the sake of his glory and he will succeed because of his glory. He knows how to plan the mission. And he has the power to implement his plans perfectly without compromising his glory and the attributes of his character. Therefore, and now we start to come to today's message. Therefore, on the basis of all of that, we draw two inferences. First of all, we as a church harvesters of all people must overflow with hope. That's the first inference I'd like to talk about today. The second inference is that harvest is on a mission and I'm gonna talk a little bit about what that mission is and the means by which we're going to um, achieve that mission. So first of all, harvesters must overflow with hope. The best is yet to be. God is on a mission of transformation because he's glorious and he can't fail. And so we have hope. And hopeful people, listen to this, are enthusiastic people. They attract others who have no real hope. That's what's going on in our nation today. There are people who have no real hope and we are to hold out a living hope to them. We're not to be cynical, folks. We're not to be jaded. We're not to be skeptical. We're not to be fed up. Yes, the truth is that sometimes we do feel those things. We do feel tired. But we know where we're going, and we know the one who is going to help us to get there. He will render it certain that we get there. I was telling my focus group just the other night that sometimes I feel like a comrades runner who's running up Polly Shorts Hill. I don't know if anyone here has run comrades. There isn't anyone in the congregation today. Caroline um, is away. She's run it before. But Polly Shorts is a hill that's about two kilometers long. It's particularly steep. And the killer thing about it is that it comes seven to eight kilometers from the end of the race when you're running from Durban to Peter Maritzburg. And there's very few runners who can actually run up that hill. They reckon about 10%, one in 10 people, can run up that hill. There's a picture of it there. Um, but what I, the, what, the picture that I, that I got from God as I was thinking about this is that I might feel like I'm running up Polly Shorts Hill or even walking up it or staggering up it. But the reality is I know that like those runners, I prepared sufficiently to finish the race. I know exactly where I'm going. I know what the goal is. And so I'm headed there, I'm on my way. And we can be the same, you might feel at times as if you're running or you're walking up Polly Shorts Hill, but the reality is that we're gonna get there because God is gonna get us there. And that is the hope that we have as a lifeline in the storms of Zimbabwe. And that is also the hope that we hold out as a lifeline to the people around us. So I believe that the key verse that we should be considering this year in 2020, as a church, is Romans 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Folks, if you want to get on board with the harvest bus this year, if you want to get on the move with us, then I would challenge you to make that your theme verse for this year and daily to pray it for yourself and to pray it for other people. Just say, Father God, may you fill me with hope, with, uh, may God of all hope, fill me with joy and peace as I trust in you. Purpose so that I will overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Fact is, we don't want to be controlled by depression this year. We want to be filled with joy. And that's what the biblical understanding of to be filled is. If I'm filled with the Spirit, I'm entirely controlled by the Spirit. If I'm filled with joy, I'm controlled by joy. I'm not controlled by depression and being cynical. If I'm filled with peace, I'm not controlled by anxiety and fear, my decisions are not being controlled by fear. Instead, I'm experiencing the peace of God as we trust in him so that we may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Pray that for yourselves every day. Reflect on it. Learn that verse. Pray it for your spouse. Pray it for your business partner. Pray it for your friends. Pray it for your family here. Oh, Father God, please fill Gail or Catherine or Matthew or Craig, whoever it is, with all joy and peace. May they trust in you. May they overflow with hope. And, oh, Spirit, empower them. Remember, it's the Holy Spirit that fuels and drives the engine of hope. And then when people ask how you're doing, you're welcome to be honest. It's a good thing for Christians to be honest. You're welcome to be real. And so if you're tired, you can say, look, I'm feeling tired. Or if you're frustrated, you can say, gee, today I'm feeling incredibly frustrated. But, always add a but, but. I'm tired or I'm exhausted or I'm frustrated, but the best is yet to be. It's a bit like the way Wendy Woods, whenever you ask her how she's doing, she'll say, It is well with my soul. It's a similar sort of response. It's yeah, things might be tough, but the best is yet to be. We need to overflow with hope. Harvest is on the move this year because we have hope. If you don't have hope, we're not going to be on the move. Let's turn now to the second implication which flows from this proposition that God is glorious and he's on a mission. Harvest is on a mission. Now, I'm gonna say some, some things now that I've said before and like I said earlier, I'm not gonna apologize for it because we need to hear these things over and over again. Here's what I'd like to say. If God is on a mission, then harvest is on a mission because we carry the family likeness. We carry God's missional DNA. The children of God care about the same things that their father cares about. Apathy for God's mission would be excusable, listen to this, if God had chosen to fulfill his mission whether Christians join him or not. But the truth is that he's not chosen to fulfill his mission in that way. The way he's chosen to fulfill his mission is by getting Christians on board to do the work with him. And we need to get on with it. We need to sign up because he wants to enlist us. And if we don't sign up, then there's aspects of his work that's not going to get done by you. Do you remember the soldiers who fought in D-Day? We talked about it two weeks ago. Do you remember Captain Skinner? Men like him fought and died to win a decisive victory. They didn't win the war, but they made the final victory possible, provided that subsequent troops expanded the area that they had liberated, fighting up through France into the rest of Europe. Jesus in the same way he came from heaven to earth to establish a beachhead to establish a secure area in enemy occupied territory, territory that was ruled by the tyranny of evil and then when he died and rose again it was the ultimate D-Day it was the ultimate turning point he went back to the father and he left us he left his disciples on the beachhead to expand it And whatever time or age or place that you live in, if you are a Christian, you are called to that mission of expanding the kingdom, of expanding that secure area of the beachhead so that the final victory will be won. So what are we aiming to achieve in 2020? This is the aim, folks. We would like to see 100 people, whether they are adults or children, added to our harvest family this year. That's what we'd like to aim for. If it's more, so much the better. But let's aim for 100. What sort of people are we hoping for? Well, we're hoping for people who are not members of a local church. Now, why would we use that criteria? I think the reason is that when somebody has been adopted into God's family, when they've been born into God's family, They are passionate about the family. They want to be with their brothers and sisters in Christ. It's one of the marks of the inner change that has happened. So we would long for people to be coming to this church who are not members of a local church because more than likely it means that they probably haven't been born again or if they have, that they're in a shaky, dangerous position. Remember, a person is not saved by going to church. But a saved person has a heart for the local church. We're not saved by going to church. But if we are saved, we will have a a heart for our local church family. A saved person wants to join God's mission through participating in the life of a local church. That's how God has set it up. The mission happens when we get together and we do stuff together. Now... How are we going to measure this? How are we going to define it if we say that we want 100 new people? Because we don't have a strict membership role here at Harvest. Um, And that's by choice. So how does a person know that they're a part of the family here? What are the indicators that they should be looking for in themselves? And Craig already talked about it earlier. It's this idea of taking next steps. We believe that members of Harvest Church are committed to this local family, this, this expression of God's overall body and family, and that you have made a decision to start growing, to start growing. And the way that one would expect to see that growth happening is described up there on the overhead. First of all, a commitment to Jesus. There may be a a period of time where you come to harvest where you're just not sure. You're just not sure whether Jesus is the real deal. Whether that man who died 2,000 years ago was who he claimed to be. Whether he did actually get raised from the dead. That's still fine. You can still be a part of our congregation. You're still a member here. But a time will come where you commit yourself to Jesus. Where you say, I'm going to just nail my, my flag to the mast, my colors to the mast. I'm gonna follow Jesus. I believe that he died on the cross in my place to take the punishment for my sin. I believe that he was raised from the dead and that in the same way, I can be raised to new life in Christ Jesus, commitment to Jesus. Craig mentioned this earlier, reading the Bible and praying regularly. Maybe at the moment, it only happens sporadically. Just make a decision to get started. Do it regularly, even if it's once every other day. But just make sure that you do it once every other day. If it's only for a few minutes, make sure that you do it for a few minutes. Start to grow in reading the Bible and praying regularly. Get baptized. Remember that baptism is a public expression of what has happened on the inside, something that is hidden and uh, not visible necessarily at that stage to other people. It's so important that we get baptised, and I love the fact. Um, the most recent baptism that we had, uh, David and Sarah Whitehead got baptised. David invited his mum and dad. I don't think your your mum and dad have been to church for decades, probably. Um, so David's David's mum came. She loved it here. Um, David was has been able to have conversations with her uh, surrounding faith issues, and just a few days ago she passed away. And so that was the way in which she was presented with the truth. And it all started with David saying, listen, Mum, something's happened in my life. You may not see the fruit of it yet, but it's really important. And I would just love you and dad to come and see me being baptized. Attend worship services. This is so important. This is, there's such a unique dynamic that happens here. There's a fullness that happens here that doesn't happen when we are by ourselves. Whether it's praying, whether it's worshiping, whether it's hearing the preaching of the word, there's a dynamic that happens when we are together that doesn't ordinarily happen. And that's why we attend regularly. Serve. Start serving. And at the start, you may not really know what you're good at. You may not know what, what gifts the God, God has given you. Just get started. I, I got started years ago. And the way that I'm serving God has changed over the decades. And it's an exciting adventure. I've, I've loved it. Give financially to harvest. There's so many initiatives that this church is involved in. And in order to facilitate us coming together as a body, there obviously are expenses involved. And so we give financially, we give regularly. And you know, in the process of doing that, you know what we're doing? <laughs> we're actually sacrificing, we're, we're, we're sacrificing the god of mammon we're killing the god of mammon because the god of mammon says hold on to your money don't give it away the last thing that you would ever want to do is give away your money that's what the god of mammon says and we say load of rubbish (laughs) we give our money away because it doesn't belong to us it belongs to god join a harvest life group once again the only the the i wouldn't say the only way but God has set it up that we grow in fellowship with other Christians. How am I going to know that I'm a selfish person unless I'm rubbing shoulders with other people? How am I going to know that I'm a greedy person? How am I going to have my blind spots revealed unless I am fellowshipping with other people? How am I going to be encouraged? You know, I love, I love the pictures been used for decades of a coal fire you know, with a coal fire, um, there's a critical mass of coal that's, that's reacting or burning that keeps the process going. But if you don't have that critical mass, if you take one or two pieces out, they could be glowing and burning. But it doesn't take long before they stop glowing and burning. And that's, that's the reality. We need to be with other people who are igniting and encouraging us um, in, a small, in a small group. It's not quite the same. Here on a Sunday, we need to have both. Now, if our aim is 100, how are we going to achieve it? What is going to be our means to achieving this goal? Well, we need to be the best possible church that we can be for a start. You see, the Bible paints a picture of the church, and we must be the embodiment of that picture. There's the picture. Here's the real thing. And if we aren't, why would people want to join us? (laughs) Why would they want to join us if we don't look like the way God, the master artist, had painted his picture of the church? Why would we expect those people who come to grow? People are going to be attracted to us. People are going to grow if we are the embodiment of the church that is described in the Bible. And here's the thing. If each of us is growing in next steps, our church will become what it needs to be in order to fulfill God's mission. So that's the first means. Very simple. Just make a decision to make a next step, and you will be helping to create the embodiment of what Christ imagines, what God imagines, the bride of Christ, that will be attractive and winsome to people around you. But there's more to becoming a biblical church. The next means by which we do it is we hold these values. These are the values that we um, hold in this church. First one, obviously Jesus. We believe what Jesus said when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though he dies. Isn't that an amazing claim? He's saying, if you believe in me, you may die a physical death, but you will live forever. And I am the means by which that happens. So that's why we put Jesus right there at the top. By faith alone, in Christ alone. That's how we get saved. Love. 1 Corinthians 13, it says, "You know, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels that have not love, I am nothing. Nothing. He goes on to say, Paul goes on to say, you know, if I could if I died, gave my body up to be burned, if I if I gave everything that I own to the poor and had not love, I would be nothing. So that's why love is just so important. It's gotta be the heart of our motivation. Family. <laughs> uh, it's so good to be part of a family. And by this, we don't mean that we only accept people who are married and have children. What we're saying is that whoever you are, whether you're old, whether you're young, whether you're a teenager, whatever socioeconomic background you come from, whoever you are, you will find a family here. A family where you can grow, a family of people who will be cheering for you, not a family that'll be shooting their dead. No, we're here for you. Vibrancy. This speaks of the Holy Spirit. We're, we're a church that believes in and values the input of the Holy Spirit. And so all of us need to be constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. We, we just uh, Tim Keller uses this example of an artist who used to paint pictures, and then he got engaged and he got married, and he was so taken with his wife that he couldn't stop painting her in his paintings. So even if he did a landscape, over here, behind a tree, there his wife would be. Whatever it was he was painting, she was in it. And it's the same with us. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, whatever it is that we're doing, we just can't get God out of our mind. We can't get Jesus out of our mind. He's part of everything. And then lastly, the service. We've already talked about that. So. First means by which we attract in 100 people is that we take next steps. We follow these values. We use these things as a means of achieving our aim because we will become the physical embodiment of the church that God has in mind. Next means is GRID. GRID is a tool which will help you to be intentional about drawing friends or even potential friends, people who haven't become friends yet, into the harvest family. And so after half term, we're going to be running several short one-off grid sessions. They're going to be on different days, different dates, different times, so that you can find one that suits your schedule. And this is about a way to become intentional about inviting people into into the harvest body, intentional about fulfilling God's mission to sort things out in the world. So that's grid, and we'll, you'll be hearing more about this. I wouldn't be surprised next week, as Craig preaches about you as an individual on mission, that, that he includes that. Um, and then Alpha, as you engage with people, you'll find that some people will be suited to a direct invite to harvest, or maybe to a harvest event. Oh, why don't you come, on me, uh, come with me on a men's, a men's camp? Well, why don't you come to our church? But other people are not going to be suited to that. And they might be more likely to join something like an Alpha group. Um, so we're going to be catering for that next term. Alpha is an opportunity for people who are curious about the Christian faith to come and explore it with other people who are curious as well. So that will be happening. And then the last specific means to our aim is to grow the number of life groups in Harvest up to 20. And so there are many people who are in in life groups at the moment who have probably been in in life groups for 10, 15, 20 years who are more than capable of leading, and we trust that God is going to put an excitement and a passion to lead a new life group on your heart. You're not going to be compelled, you're not going to be forced, (laughs) because that just doesn't work. But God, and if you don't have that passion, if you don't have that heart, just say, Father God, I'm willing to be made willing, and let's see what happens. (laughs) it'll be exciting you never know you might be leading a life group so god is glorious and he's on a mission and god is on a mission for the sake of his glory and he will succeed because of his glory therefore we are to overflow with hope and we are to join the harvest mission Our mission is to become the kind of church that will attract 100 new members in 2020. The means by needs to achieving that, next steps, live out our five values, attend a grid session, invite people to to harvest, to small group, to a harvest event or to a harvest um, alpha course, which will be running next term. And then we want to increase the number of our life groups up to 20. God is glorious, and he's on a mission. He's on a mission for the sake of his glory, and he will succeed because of his glory. We can't lose, folks, and so let's get on board and see what he does. Shall we pray? If you'd like to get on board with this vision and to get on the move with us here at Harvest, uh, just spend a moment just asking God and the Holy Spirit what, what, what he wants you to do. We've talked about all these different means by which we can attain this vision. What does he want you to do? What's the first step that you're going to be taking this week? I'm just going to pray now, um, giving you an opportunity to commit to taking that step and by doing that to commit to the vision that we have for Harvest in 2020. Father God, with your help, with the power of the Holy Spirit, I am going to just fill in the blank in your own heart because I want to get on board with your mission. And I want to get on board specifically with the mission that Harvest has for this year, 2020. Father, thanks for calling us to be a part of your mission. And one thing I'm just so pleased about, Father God, is that you will never expect us to be separated from your love. You you required that of Jesus so that we would never have to experience it. I thank you that whatever it is that we're doing this year in Zimbabwe, whatever happens in Zimbabwe, we will never be separated from your love. We are more than conquerors. We are on a God who is glorious. Who We have a God who is glorious, who is acting to to express his glory and because of his glory we'll never fail and because we're on board with that, we can expect to be on the winning side. We thank you for these things. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being separated from the Father so that we never would have to be. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.